Hello and welcome to the Fizzle. Ch- okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I kidding? Right. I am not Chase Reeves today. I am Corbett Barr, and I am joined today by Jen Rayo from JenRayo.com. Hey, Jen. Hey, Corbett. Also by Aiden Fishbein, another co-host. Aiden runs the Vitals Agency is, and also is a part of the Fizzle team. Aiden, happy to have you here today. Always a pleasure. And today, the three of us are joined by a very special guest. I am excited today to be talking to Ruth Sukup from a number of places. I'm going to tell you in just a second. Ruth is a best-selling author, and uh, she also is dedicated to helping women overcome fear and create a life they love through her blog, Living Well, Spending Less, which reaches more than 1 million women each month. She encourages her readers to follow their dreams and reach their goals. She's also the founder of the Living Well Planner and Elite Blog Academy, as well as the author of five best-selling books. Her practical advice has been featured in numerous publications and news programs, including Women's Day, Red Book, Family Circle, and Fox News. Her Do It Scared podcast launched last year in April, and her next book, Do It Scared, Finding the Courage to Face Your Fears, Overcome Adversity, and Create a Life You Love, from HarperCollins will be available today as this goes live. Ruth, we're happy to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. Today, we want to dive into a couple of different topics. Uh, Because your book is all about fear and overcoming adversity, we want to talk about that. But you also have been a successful entrepreneur for quite some time. And I think your story is very relatable because as I was reading on your site, it sounds like you started journaling sort of as a hobby all the way back in 2010, <laughs> which in internet years is quite a while. Forever ago. I know it was the dark ages of the internet before, <laughs> before I even had a laptop. Before you even had a laptop. Tell us about that. How did you get started? And, or a uh, smartphone. No smartphone either. <laughs> right. Crazy. What, how did you get started back then? And, and what were your initial goals? Yeah, well, I started not really intending to create this media empire, which is sort of what it feels like I have today, but um, really because I was a stay-at-home mom at the time of a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and I was going a little bit stir-crazy, to be honest. I, we had My husband and I had just moved back to Florida. We didn't really have a good network, our fa- no family here and no friends, really, that we hadn't made any friends yet. And so here I was stuck in the house every day with this one-year-old and three-year-old not really knowing what to do. And so my default, my go-to, which if there's any moms of little kids listening to, they can probably relate to this, but my default was go to Target and walk around, put my kids in the cart and I'd walk around. And as you can imagine, it was not, not a cheap hobby because I don't think it's possible to go to Target and not actually fill your cart with, <laughs> with things. And so um, my husband and I we started fighting a lot about money, you know, and it was just a stressful time. Our, our one-year-old did not sleep at all. She was the world's worst baby. And so there was a lot of just stressors happening anyways in our life. And we were fighting all the time about money. And he saw every minute I was spending at Target as another hour that he had to spend working and he hated his job. He was an aerospace engineer. So he made good money, but he just hated it so, so, so much. And so we knew something had to give. And so I decided to start this blog because I knew I needed to work at living on a budget. And so I started this blog called Living Well, Spending Less, which was really just a way at first to hold myself accountable. So I was going to try to stick to a budget and I was going to write about how I was sticking to a budget and I was living well and spending less. And a couple of really interesting things happened um, after that I started. Like, First of all, I realized like, oh my gosh, I actually can save money, which was a revelation to me and that I was really enjoyed the writing process and writing about it and that I was able to write in a way that people connected to pretty quickly. But what I also realized was that there was this whole other world out there of online people that were making money on the internet. And this was a revelation to me because this was 2010. So this was, you know, this was still like the dark ages of, and there, and it wasn't well known that people were making money on the internet yet. It was after the dot com bubble, but not like really like, but those were big companies. So it wasn't really known that like regular people could go and, 
and make a living somehow. I, so. I remember around the time <laughs> uh, that there was an article that came out about how you can't make money blogging. Mm-hmm. It was like, yes. it was a big deal at the time, just like popping everybody's bubble who was starting with a blog thinking maybe this will turn into something. Right. And of course, he was talking about advertising, which you don't earn a lot from. But luckily, you and, and others found other ways to do it, right? Well, actually, advertising at first was a really lucrative um, option for me. And that was probably my first real um, experience with monetization was because that's what people would think about when you make money on a blog, you make money from advertising. And um, thankfully, you know, I had been writing about... So so as soon as I saw that other people were making money, I was like, oh my gosh, I think I could do this. I went to my husband and I was like, honey, I, I have an idea. I'm going to make enough money blogging that you can quit your job. Like this is going to be our future. And <laughs> he looked at me and he was like, honey, that is the stupidest thing that you have Haven't ever you read that article. <laughs> <laughs> not make money on a blog. This is so dumb. I don't know what you're like. He's like, but it's better than target. So whatever you want to, <laughs> like, you want to spend your time trying to make money on the internet, then good luck. And those were like, I feel like for me, that's all I really needed was like for him to say I couldn't do it because then that was my motivation to actually figure it out. Love it. And I then poured like every ounce of energy I had into like just figuring it out, figuring out all the things I had to do. And there wasn't that much information out there. So I was Googling every day, like, how do you make money online? How do you make money on a blog? And um, the one thing that I, first learned was that you had to, you had to, it was all about SEO, right? All about having, optimizing every post for search engines because this was before like Facebook was even a big deal. And right. so, like this really was the dark ages. And um, so I was optimizing every post for search engine results and, and doing all these things that I thought I was supposed to do. And, you know, in every endeavor in life, like it's a combination of a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck. And so for me, my first like lucky break, I guess, was that I had been I had been writing about living well on a budget and I had been doing I've been doing couponing and talk because my ta- my original tagline on my blog was because the less I spend on food, the more I can spend on shoes. So like budgeting for me was just all about like having more money for shoes. Yep. And um so I had written this series called The Beginner's Guide to Coupons and really like breaking it down how you do couponing like really effectively. And I've always been really good at taking like things that feel complicated to other people and breaking them down into simple step-by-step instructions. And so I wrote the series, but as I was writing the series for my audience, I was also, and my audience at this point was like maybe a hundred people. And most of them were like friends who were like asking me, Ruth, how are you doing this couponing thing? I want to know more about this. And so, but at the same time, I was optimizing everything for, for search engine results. And then I got really lucky because you might remember this in early 2011, there was a show that came out that was called Extreme Couponing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everybody and their dog was searching for how to, how to use coupons and, yeah. and how to like do extreme couponing. And I was actually, I was, I had done so much work on, on optimizing my site um, for Google and for Google results that I was, I was showing up higher for this extreme couponing search than the actual show. Yeah. So, and, you know, like I never knew that was going to happen. I had, I could have never predicted that would happen, but I right. was, I had done the work ahead of time. And so when that break came, that was like my first big break. Yeah. So what do they show, say that luck is yeah. the way well, opportunity meets preparation, something <laughs> yes. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have, by the way, uh, a title maybe for your autobiography to be written in the future, something like <laughs> buying shoes and proving my husband wrong motivation. <laughs> it took, <laughs> right. You know, the poor guy, he has had to hear me tell that story so many times. That's like his eternal penance in life. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so now you're just going to rub his face in it for the rest of his life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sure he's happy with the results now though. Oh, he's very happy. And he's, he's since apologized and he's the best and he just, he goes along with it. He's, he's kind of resigned himself to the fact that like, he's always going to be my foil and every, like being married to a writer. I feel like that's, that's your lot in life. You know, you've got to be the, yep. lot of the jokes <laughs> and the brunt of all, all the stories. And maybe once in a while you'll <laughs> shed some, some nice light on him as he well. To be the hero every <laughs> once in a while. I think it's really excited about that. So yeah. I want to, I, I, I want to find out how you made the transition from, uh, 
couponing and living well on a budget to yep. talking about fear and adversity. But <laughs> I also want to give people a little bit of an idea of the business that you run today because things have changed quite a bit from yes. 2010, 2011. I was on your site and I saw a team photo and there were quite a few people yeah. in that team. So, so tell us about the business you run today. What, what is it like and, and uh, what's your team like? Yeah. So today I run, it's a uh, online media company. Our name of our company is Ruth Sukup Omnimedia. And, um, basically we're dedicated to creating, creating and providing practical solutions to eliminate overwhelm for home and business along with the motivation to use them. So we really believe as our, in our, in our company that it's like, I love giving step-by-step super practical instructions, but I'm also very committed to giving people the motivation and the inspiration behind that in order to actually follow through on it. So that's sort of what we focus and that's very broad, but we, we focus on primarily four different areas. So lifestyle is our original brand that's living well, spending less, which that blog still exists and we still have a huge audience there. Um, and then eventually we transitioned into business because as my business grew, I started having a lot of people wanting to know how how I was doing what I was doing and you know in, in 2013 my husband did retire he left his job and he's now the stay-at-home parent and so that sort of opened up this whole other area of my business for sharing what I was learning with other people. And now I teach other entrepreneurs um, how to create successful online businesses through my course called Elite Blog Academy, which now has we've been we've been running Elite Blog Academy. We're in our sixth year. We just finished our fourth revision of the course. We have over 11,000 students in 60 countries worldwide. So it's been pretty amazing. And then um, in 2015, we launched a um, productivity wing of our business that's called the Living Well Planner. So we teach a time management system called Think Big, Plan Small. And that really helps both um, our business-oriented audience and our mom audience. So it's really about... Um, just learning how to set big goals and but then break down those big goals into manageable bites that can al- actually help you get things done. And so that's at Living Well Planner. And then the final piece of that is the most recent piece and that's Do It Scared. So that started with the podcast, which launched last year, but then the book that comes out today um, is goes along with that too. And And as part of this book... Um, It really happened organically from just the things I was hearing from my audience. So do it scared has been my own personal motto in my most of my adult life. And then when I started my company, it became the first of our company's fundamental core values. And it was something that I would I would mention every now and then I'd talk about it in an email or I would talk about it in a blog post. And it was something that my community really latched onto. And I started hearing people say, you know, Ruth says do it scared, I'm going to do it scared. But what I was also hearing was so many people talk about fear, especially when I would talk about you know setting big goals and going after your goals and dreams and here's how to start a business. Um, the thing that I would hear back was, oh, you know, you talk about this stuff, but I feel so stuck and I feel like I'm sitting on the sidelines of my life and I feel like I'm so afraid to jump in and just go after it wholeheartedly. And it got me so curious about that and wondering... What is it about fear that's keeping us stuck? And why are some people able to overcome their fear and other people not able to overcome their fear? And so I started asking questions and never really intended to create this huge research project, but that's really what it ended up being. We surveyed more than 4,000 people and had so much data. We had to hire a whole team of researchers. And so I sort of um, accidentally fell into this, this project for Do It Scared, but it's been amazing. And the, and the, and the insights and the results that have come out of that research have been just like phenomenal. And we've already been seeing the results in, in both of our living well, spending less community and our elite blog Academy community. And that's really, really cool. Now uh, in, in preparation for this, Aiden and Jen both took a, an assessment on your yes. website. So I think they have some questions to ask you about that and the results that they saw specifically from that. Uh, do you guys want to talk about the, the archetypes a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to kind of lead in, I, I just wanted to kind of highlight, highlight something that, I, that was particularly interesting about your approach, which is that, I mean, this is a topic that is you're not the first person to try and tackle this. I don't know if you were aware of that, <laughs> but, uh, but fear is it like, obviously it permeates everybody's lives in certain ways. Um, and some more than others and some more cripplingly. And some people have their interesting little techniques to get through it. 
Um, but this idea of an archetype um, really, really, really uh, made a lot of sense to me. And, and I don't know if anybody else has kind of started with this kind of topic, but um, as a branding guy, um, when I do a lot of user profiling for my agency, it's always, always, always archetypal. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously people are very nuanced and everybody's different, but we cannot argue um, with the fact that pe- there are very, very, you know, there's, there's categories of, of people in different ways. And um, I had never considered that there might be buckets of fear that people fall into. Um, and then also, you know, just to kind of, just to dovetail as I do into, uh, into my own uh, rabbit hole that you sent me down, um, the, the interpretation and kind of the, uh, the harmonization of certain archetypes with um, behaviors that, that I had been unaware of, you, you pretty quickly targeted and highlighted for me. And I know that your, your target audience is not somebody like me, not, not some white dude, um, but it does apply. And, um, you know, I think I I fell into the bucket of, of procrastinator, which I did not agree with originally Uh until you started reading it. (laughs) Right. And I had the, I had the book, you sent me the book. Um, and the way that procrastination comes out of perfectionism was pretty incredible for me. Um, I'm the kind of guy that really does pride himself on, I do, I'm a massive accomplisher. I've built my own business. I follow directions well. Um, I, I learn fast, but I'm really, really, really reactive. And I didn't notice that until you were talking about, well, how much of my own important stuff do I actually prioritize and get done versus the things other people tell me to do? Um, and that just, you just gutted me. <laughs> so, um, so I was really interested in that. Um, and so, so I don't know if that, if that brings up any thoughts or if Jen, you want to, you want to give your experience? Yeah. 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 So mine's a little bit different, but I took the assessment a couple of weeks ago and I actually was really surprised by my results and decided to take it again today. So the first time I took it, I got the rule follower. Um, and there was a little bit in there, uh, that I responded to, but, uh, Ruth, just so you know, um, I actually live in a tiny home. I left a corporate job. Like I'm generally really coloring outside of the line. So I was yeah. trying my question for you today is like, what happens if someone takes the assessment and, um, you know, doesn't quite jive with what they find? So today I went back and I took it again. And I, instead of choosing like the middle ground as an answer, I went like really strong agree or disagree. And I ended mm-hmm. up getting procrastinator. And I was like, oh yeah. That's more, <laughs> that's me. <right. laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's a really good point. Like it definitely, it can throw it off. If you choose everything like right middle down middle of the road, it, it makes it a little tougher for, for, I mean, that's any assessment. You have to be a little more like, what do you most agree with and, and be really honest with yourself there. And I think that's sometimes, that's sometimes a little bit, um, like a lot of people want to just go straight down the middle, but the, the assessment is, it really is um, amazing how much science goes into creating something, an assessment that's actually scientifically valid. So as you probably like notice, there's a lot of questions. It's more than like a lot of times you'll take a quiz or something that's like eight questions, which you cannot actually discern anything from eight questions because you have to ask the questions multiple times. This isn't a standard magazine quiz. No, this is not what Disney princess are you? Um, But it's also probably, it's also probably not the the 500 question Minnesota multiphasic person. Yeah, the MSO. No, it's not that. It's somewhere in the middle, but it definitely, you have to ask the questions a certain number of times. You have to ask them in both positive light, positive ways and negative ways, like the reverse, like inverse and reverse. Sure, stuff. sure. Mm-hmm. And then you, we also had um, multiple, multiple psychologists go through the, the, the test and make sure that there was no question bias in the way that the questions were asked. And so there was like, and then the, al- the way that the algorithms are set up, it's really intense, but I'm glad that you did take it again. I would say that that is what I would recommend for people. And I've heard that from a few people that they say, like the first time they took it, they were kind of like answering the way they thought they were supposed to. And sometimes that can have like, like throw things off because the, the, test will actually pick up that ambivalence and and it'll kind of screw things up. But if you're really like, but, and then if they go back and take it again and they like try to be more honest and a little bit more polarized with their, with their responses, it'll be more accurate. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I am in the fizzle forums every day with all of our members who are working on building their own thing. And 
as soon as I read Procrastinator, I was like, there's my people. They're here. Back almost everybody. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> that's yeah. probably that's bang on. <laughs> Doing the research. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain that that um that archetype? And then I would love to hear yeah. about the other archetypes. But but to start yeah. with, since both Jen and Aiden came up as the procrastinator, what what is that fear archetype? So the procrastinator is actually the most common of all seven archetypes. And so it's not surprising that both both of you are, I believe, um, about 35 to 40% of our respondents actually have that as their top arch- archetype. So it's it's by far the most common. And I think almost 60% of people have it in their top three. Um, so basically, the, the procrastinator is also known as the perfectionist. Which and so a, a lot of times people will identify with that per- perfection. They'll either identify as a procrastinator or as a perfectionist, but not necessarily as both. But it really they they're almost interchangeable those two things because the way that it plays out for people and the way what the real underlying fear for that for that archetype is the fear of making a mistake or the fear of commitment, and so it shows up as analysis paralysis or overly researching everything or like needing to have somebody else set the deadline and then working on something until the very last minute um, for a lot of people. And, and of course there are different, I should, I should qualify a few things here. So there are varying degrees of this in your life. If you score a 90% or 95%, I've seen even somebody score like a 98% on a procrastinator. Chances are that is (laughs) very like strongly affecting your life that almost every single, every single quality that you see on there will probably, you'll be like, yep, 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 yep. If you're scoring like the lower your percentage, the, the less impact it's probably having on your life. The other thing I should say is that we all have a little bit of all seven archetypes in us, but most of us have at least one or two, sometimes even three or four. I've even seen people have like six out of the seven that are were, were in the like high 80s, 80, 80th percentile, which meant that they were dealing with like all the fears. Um, yeah. <laughs> so for most people, like one or two that are most prevalent, but the way that your top ones interact together, really it makes up your own unique fear fingerprint. So although there are these seven patterns that show up for us, we each still have our own unique spin on it. Right. There's a gradient. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a yeah. gradient. And why, why is this so important? to you and 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 uh, to for the readers and and listeners know this why 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 is this so important to understand how how you react to fear besides well besides just being interesting like i find it fascinating right and it's always interesting to find out these things about yourself but the real benefit of this is that for so many of us fear happens uh subconsciously and sometimes we don't even recognize it as fear like there's kind of general fear that, you know, we, we will, and we'll even say that like, oh yeah, we all have fear or whatever. And we, we kind of think that everybody experiences fear the same way that we do. And because the way that we experience it for ourselves is our truth. And we don't realize that the way that we're, it's, we're experiencing fear is actually very different from the way somebody else is experiencing fear. And we also don't realize that for some, for one person, they might call it anxiety. Another person might call it being stuck. Another person might call it being depressed or, you know, whatever the names are for it. There's all these different names. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and also what, what was really powerful for me is I've always attributed this as, as like a, an attribute, like a lot of the things that have just been revealed to me as kind of liabilities or Achilles heels. Um, I previously thought these were things that were good. Like in this, in this description, (laughs) it's like you are well organized. You prefer to get things done ahead of time. You prefer to be consistent. But on the flip side of a lot of those things, it's like, well, consistency or death. So I'm not experimenting. I'm not taking risks. Right. Um, prefer to be well, well organized. Well, when I'm not well organized, chaos paralyzes me from time to time. So that lie, that asset viewpoint made me very, very blind to the downside of those things until I, until I was able to take a look at that. So that was, yes. yeah, that was really important for me. That's a really good point too. Cause they each have, they all have negative sounding names cause they're fear archetypes, but they, but each of them have, has something that serves us too. Like sure. they each have good and positive qualities. So they're not all, none of them are all good or all bad. And that's exactly why like there's, so you, so sometimes you're not even recognizing your perfectionist. That's why people will say, oh yeah, I'm totally a perfectionist. But that's a good thing. I'm proud to be a perfectionist. Um, but actually there's a lot of fear that's, that's happening within that perfectionism that might not be serving you. Sure. So 
back to the question of what is the benefit of knowing this? Well, the benefit of knowing this now and identifying it in yourself and identifying these patterns is that it's because so much of it happens subconsciously without us being aware of it, you can't do anything about it then. You, because you're experiencing it as truth, you're not really seeing how you can overcome it. But sort of like when you go to the doctor and you say, hey, doc, I don't feel good. And what is the doctor going to do? The first thing he has to do is diagnose whatever's wrong with you and say, okay, you have the flu or you have cancer. Like those are two different treatments here. Um, but only a little bit that, different. Yeah, yeah, only a little <laughs> bit different. Um, but once he knows, then he can then start to treat it. And that's the same way with our fear. Once we can start to see those patterns, that's when we can actually have the power to start doing something about it and to go, oh my gosh, that's my fear talking. That's something that I can actually do something about. And then that's in the, to the title of the book, Do It Scared. It's not that necessarily that fear will go away, but you can start to have more control over taking action despite that fear because you're starting to recognize it as fear and not as truth. Yeah. And for, for a lot of our fizzlers, you know, this is going to be, we're, we're pretty, we, we take kind of a holistic approach to entrepreneurship because, you know, what, what better way is there to, to learn about yourself and to benefit, you know, all areas of your life than to take a look at everything and, and get through everything. It just so happens to, to suit stuff. And it sounds like with your previous endeavors, um, you know, you've targeted uh, family life, business, um, personal passions, side projects, hobbies. Um, it is, it is pretty holistic. So fear, what I'm hearing is that you know, if you are blind to what you're suffering from, you cannot get a good diagnosis, you can't get good treatment, and you're probably being held back from doing things that really, really have a good chance of creating the life you want, and you're not even aware of that. Is that, is that accurate? Very, yes, well said. That's exactly, that's exactly it. And, and this was something that you just kind of came naturally to. It sounds like you were always curious about how fear was impacting your life and adopted a personal motto of doing it scared because you recognize that if, if you let fear or if you let being scared stop you from doing things, then you wouldn't do the important things in life. Right. It sounded like, right. Um, did, did you get a sense from the research? I'm curious as to what percentage or portion of our day-to-day decisions are governed by fear Oh, that's a really good question. Our our data and research did not cover that specific Six question. and a half percent. Six and a half. Six and a half. There's no way for me to back. answer that question, but man, that brings me, like, opens the door for another that's step. The next, that's the next research. <laughs> I was thinking it, it might be higher than that, but, but I, I just wonder if, if, um, if looking at your behavior through a lens of how is fear shaping my behavior, my actions, my decisions if that doesn't uh, have the opportunity to make some really drastic improvements or changes in the way that you're going about your life, because maybe it does deep down rule a lot of things. There, there's this uh, concept of the lizard brain uh, mm-hmm. that Seth Godin and others have talked about where the fear is deep down rooted in our DNA. And it's something that we share with, if, if you've ever had a pet, you know that fear rules a lot of pets day-to-day existence our dog won't eat on the hardwood floors because she thinks that a monster is going to swallow her up (laughs) in certain places of the house and and she's generally pretty well adjusted but you just see how fear like rules her life and that's something that um must go way way back in evolution uh because you can see that it's the same sort of thing that a child would react to in the same way remember running and jumping from your doorway to your bed because you were afraid of whatever might be under there so a lot of us grow older and become entrepreneurs and uh entrepreneurship is all about being able to overcome fear and do things that the average person would find to be terrifying and you have to sort of compartmentalize that and recognize that, yes, this is terrifying, but there's reward on the other side, right? Right. Well, and that's the, that's the thing for, for everything and we, we do in life. And I mean, to your point, fear is actually created as a protection mechanism, right? We're supposed to be afraid where it's a self-preservation like that is innate in each one of us. And they, you know, studies say that if you're not afraid in certain situations, it's actually a sign of mental illness. There's something wrong with you're you. You're a sociopath. Don't feel afraid. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. the guy that free climbed El Capitan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that crazy amygdala, you know? Exactly. Like, like that's, yeah. 
it's crazy. Like fear is, is there to protect us. And, and that's why it's important to see even in these archetypes that there are parts of each of these fears that are serving us. And there is a part of that that is serving us. And even as an entrepreneur, there's a part of, of your archetype that's probably helping you in your business. I mean, Aiden, you spoke to that exactly. Like you do things well, you're, you, you have a great attention to detail. It is like you do branding. So that, that makes a huge amount of sense. But at the same time, and for me, I'm not, I'm actually the outcast archetype, which is a very common, it's the fourth most common archetype overall, but it's the most common archetype for entrepreneurs. Interesting. And the outcast archetype is actually the, the fear, like the underlying fear is the fear of rejection. And so for outcast, the way that often manifests is that we will reject others before we can be rejected. And we have sort of this mentality of, I need to prove myself. I'm going to just, I don't need anybody else. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And there are a lot of qualities of the, of the outcast that ser- have served me well as an entrepreneur. But in doing this work, I've also learned that there's also a lot of qualities as an outcast that have not served me well, which right. the biggest one being the fact that I've always insisted on doing everything myself and I've never wanted to collaborate with other, with other bloggers. Does not or play other well with others. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's something that I've been very over the last year, especially diving into this, like having to come to grips with the fact like I'm holding myself back in a lot of ways and thinking that I'm fearless but actually, it's because I'm so scared of putting myself out there in, in the sense that I could be rejected. Sure. So it's been really, I think, I mean, it's been eye-opening just for me as, as a person, an entrepreneur, to realize how much fear is still there, even though I, I have would, would have liked to think that I've conquered fear a long time ago. I certainly have it. Of course. Yeah. I just think this is such an important conversation because it normalizes fear. You know, I think so many mm. people come into starting their own business and they think that their challenges and fears and problems are unique and they're the only ones having them. Uh, (laughs) And the whole motto of doing it scared, people need to remember that every single person that you look up to built their business while being scared and while overcoming fear. There's no one that just had a golden ticket and was never scared. Um, And I love, there was a line in your book that said, you know, like you should feel scared and invigorated in the actions that you take. And I just like that struck me so much because it's true. Like if you're not getting those butterflies in your stomach, like, you know, you're not stretching yourself out enough. And again, the people that you look up to, they were, that's what they were doing. They were always just stretching those goals a little bit further and further and uh, yeah, staying invigorated. I love that. That's so true. And I think, I think that's like what has been so eye opening for me too, as an entrepreneur there, like there was always when I was first getting started and trying to grow my business, there were so many people that I looked up to and went, Oh my gosh, like clearly they know what they're doing and they've got it all figured out. And I wish, I wish that I could be at that point where I do. Yeah, exactly. And and that you're looking at that going, oh, like they, like someday maybe I'll be there. And I, and I never felt like I got there. And then I, the more, but the more I would spend time with people who I perceived like having it all figured out, the more I would realize and they'd be like, no, I don't know what I'm doing either. <laughs> that was yeah. really the answer. Like nobody yeah. knows what they're doing. There is no there there. <laughs> there <laughs> you go, everyone. We're all just making it up. Yeah, you meet your idol and and then the bubble is burst. You're like, my person is a wreck. You immediately become a nihilist. <laughs> um, so, so this is awesome. So so uh, so we've got the procrastinator. Um, we did a little bit on the rule follower. We've got the outcast. Yeah. Uh, what else? There's the people pleaser. Ooh. So people pleaser. That one too. Underlying Please. fear is is the fear of being judged or the fear of what other people will think. Mm. And so a really good way to look at the difference between a procrastinator and a people pleaser is the, the procrastinator is most afraid of making a mistake. The people pleaser is most afraid of what people would think of them if they made a mistake. Mm. So just a, like slight little variation on that. But So would you say one is is more self-critical, like would give themselves a hard time if they made a mistake and the other person are really just susceptible to what other people, how they would treat them if they made a mistake. Is that Um, what you're saying? For the procrastinator, often the fear, the fear is of making the mistake itself. They don't, it's not necessarily attached with what other people will think. Although somebody could be high procrastinator and high people pleaser. So then it's a little bit of both. Of course. Um, 
But the self-doubter, that's another one of the archetypes, is one that's the hyper-criticism of themselves. So the self-doubter, the underlying fear there is the fear of not being capable and not being enough. And so I feel that one. Any of the other archetypes, the self-doubter is the one who is just has that like little voice that is constantly like telling them they're not good enough. And the way that that often manifests itself, it can be hyper-criticism towards yourself but it can also be hypercriticism towards other people, especially the people closest to you. And that can actually be really negative um, affecting your relationships because people around you will feel like they can never measure up. And what was really happening there is like, you don't feel like you're measuring up to your own expectations. And so it gets projected onto other people. I see nodding. That one's yeah. resonant. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I'm, I'm just, I am relating to, to like a lot of these. I can see the gradient. I'm going to have to take that assessment again myself because um, there is, and I love the nuance too, because there is a difference for me. I can see that like, I don't, I'm self-assured, but I'm dominated by the opinions of others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so leave me to my own devices and I think I'm, you know, king shit, excuse <laughs> the expression, um, but but you put me in, in front of a group of people and I literally am searching their faces for their reactions and I thrive on it if their reactions are good. Yes. Um, and I definitely get stuck. I start stumbling. I start saying, um, a lot. If, uh, if, if it, if it even just looks like somebody is judging me or, or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's, you know, the puzzle is starting to, wow, it's starting all to make together. a real picture here. Yeah, you're really unraveling, Aiden. So you'll have to make sure that you take the, 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 well, you take, it's only one assessment, but there's a free version and then there's a premium version of the assessment. So the premium, the, the free version of your assessment gives you just your top archetype, which is helpful, but it's what the, it's more helpful to get the full spectrum because it'll sure. give you how you rate on all seven of them. And then mm. it'll t- talk about your top three and how those are interacting together on the premium report. And so, so and I, I'm going to just put in a shameless plug because it's this week while you're ordering the book, you get, we have book bonuses and one of them includes the premium assessment. So this is a really good time to grab the book. That's only going to be this week. During the awesome. Week. And I, I should mention uh, the show notes for this episode. What episode are we on here, Aiden? Three twenty. All right. So the show notes for this episode will be at fizzleshow.co slash 320. But, uh, and we'll have links to all of Ruth's um, background and and, uh, book and everything. But uh, if people want to go directly, Ruth, where where could they get the book? Uh, You can go straight to doitscared.com. Okay. Excellent. And I wanted, before you transition, I just, just kind of on a side note. Yeah. I wanted to give you a shout out, Ruth, because the and and this is a good case study for our audience i believe your funnel is really well put together you Thank deliver you. you deliver a lot of good uh, free value um there's good not overly manipulative um ctas halfway through your assessment you've got an additional piece of value for or that if you want to upsell um to there so so even you know i i see the value in that myself uh, but also for people that are trying to do similar things like build an assessment that's a little bit better than just a quiz. Yeah. Um, I, I think your site is a great example of, of something to look at, to reference, and to do the same thing. Um, and the different stages of that funnel from top um, and wide to narrow, um, I think it's really well architected. So I think it's a great case study to look at for some of our audience. And uh, yeah, high five. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, obviously, like that's, that's what we do from behind... A, like as a business. So there's a lot of thought that went into how we are, how are we going to make this work? And there's actually a lot of, a lot more work that needs to be done. Like we look at this as phase one, right? You have to get it out there. And um, this is hard for procrastinators because you have to get it out there and knowing that it's not perfect. And I can look at it and I can go, there's so many things like it means so much that you're saying it's amazing. Cause I look at it and I'm like, there's still so many things about this funnel that I would like to fix and tweak. And that we're talking about during our marketing meetings every single week. And yet like it starts with just getting it out there um, the way that it is. And then you can continue to improve that. I, that mm-hmm. I love that. Love about the internet is that everything is editable. You can yeah. <laughs> do it scared and, and publish it imperfectly. Right. I yes. love it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, okay. I would love to hear, I think we've heard five of the archetypes. I would love to hear the last two. And then I would also love to get into, 
conversation about courage, because this is something you spend time in the book on principles of courage. But before we do both of those, I would like to tell everyone about a sponsor today. Discover.bot is an online community for bot creators built by Amazon Registry Services. And if you're a newcomer in the bot space, Discover.bot will teach you everything there is to know about bots. Their beginner's guide to bots will teach you about how bots were invented, the basics of how bots work, what bots can do, and where they are developed and published. They also regularly publish how-to guides and the latest bot-building resources on topics like how to design a bot personality, how to set up payments through your bot, and how to stop shopping cart abandonment. You can learn more and get the beginner's guide to bots at discover.bot slash fizzle. That's discover.bot slash fizzle. And thanks to Amazon Registry Services and discover.bot for supporting the Fizzle Show and independent entrepreneurship. So, Ruth, uh, let's talk about the last two archetypes, if you don't mind, because I'd love to have a complete picture of what they yeah, the, are. Of all well, the pain. <laughs> of all the pain, all the fear, it's all coming together. So the last two are the excuse maker first, mm. which is really the underlying fear of being blamed or being held accountable. And I like to say, you always know if you're with an excuse maker, because it's, it's that person that feels like they can, you can never pin them down. Like for some, whatever reason, it's never their fault. They've always got like some, some reason, some excuse, some, some, something. And it's some, a lot of times like it feels totally legitimate. Maybe this is you. Maybe you're always, you've always got some reason what, for why you can't do something. Um, that's the excuse, excuse maker. It's also the, the friend who never wants to pick the restaurant because they're afraid they're going to get blamed if nobody likes it. Don't take uh-huh. responsibility, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't accept yeah. responsibility. You can never, you can never be blamed. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Um, and then the final one is the pessimist. And the pessimist is usually a person who has actually experienced a lot of hardship or adversity um, maybe sickness, maybe tragedy, trauma, any, um, but that's really gotten them to a place of being completely stuck and feeling like, why even bother? Like things are just going to turn out bad. So what that underlying fear is, it's really a fear of pain and adversity because they've experienced, they've already experienced pain and adversity and they don't want to experience anymore. And so a lot of times that it, and so, well, some people will look at adversity and challenges as an opportunity to push forward and to overcome the pessimist is someone who's just like stuck in that place and not and not wanting to move forward because they're afraid of experiencing more pain that just got heavy yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's usually a hard one it's more of a it's more of a like almost a, like you can get stuck in the victim place yes yes and and as you're talking about each of these you know i think we're all saying Oh, I, I tick the boxes on that one, or oh, that's so and so, or that's so and so. Yeah, who, who acts yeah. Like it's that. really uh, what I think is interesting, and what I've heard from people who have read the book so far is that um, wh- as they're reading, they can like every single one. They're like, oh yeah, I know somebody who's this. I know somebody who's this. But it's a little bit harder to self-diagnose sometimes. Sometimes people are like, oh yeah, that's me right there, and other times people are like, oh, I don't know, I can fit some of some of these, or maybe I'm not some of these. Um, which is why the assessment is so helpful too, because it will actually help you <laughs> help you self-diagnose. Right. Um, I think it can give you so much empathy for people too, because when you realize that some of the behaviors that have maybe previously been annoying that you've seen traits that you've seen in other people or that have you got it about other people, it can actually make you go, Oh, I think that's coming from a place of fear. Well, and as, as an entrepreneur, obviously uh, we have to become masters of understanding ourselves but we also need to become masters of understanding other people because we are working with people, we're uh, hiring people, and we also, of course, have customers. And it's interesting to me to think about these fear ar- archetypes as maybe an add-on to the way that we um, create general customer avatars and archetypes and ask ourselves, you know, what are customers or potential customers going through and, and what is their life like? And this, this, um, seems to be especially appropriate for someone like Jen, I would imagine in your line of work where you're trying to help people declutter physically and mentally both, right? Uh They must be dealing with a lot of these kinds of things. 
Yeah, and what it made me think of is that I have to be careful in my uh, copywriting that I'm not just attracting, say, pessimists, right? Because they're, mm. you know, if you have a pessimist dealing with a house full of clutter, it's going to be a much longer road to have them seeing any any results. And again, but having empathy, you know, not totally giving up on them, but right. understanding that, uh, you know, the space that they're coming from. Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, There's yeah. some deep-seated things there. And, and yes. I would imagine a pessimist, uh, you know, the advice of do it scared is different for them, maybe because if you're a pessimist, you might not feel fear as being scared. You might feel fear as being defeated, right? Right. Yes. Right. I yeah. think this is, a, this is a perfect transition because I think that's the whole point of the archetypes, right? Is that not one solution fits all fears. So, so do the principles of courage kind of follow that same um, like check your archetype and then use this method, something like that? There are certain principles of courage that correlate more closely to, to certain archetypes than, than others. Like for instance, rules are for suckers would definitely be one that would be, be a, a more <laughs> relevant one to the rule follower, for instance. Um, but they're in general, the seven principles of courage that I talk about in the book are, are I think overall good principles for anyone to follow just there are certain ones that will probably, and what I have found and what I've, the feedback that I've received so far is that depending on what your archetype is, there will be that, that corresponding principle will probably resonate real strongly with you. So sure. if you're, if you're a perfectionist slash procrastinator, um, chances are the, the principle of courage, there are no mistakes, only lessons. That chapter will probably resonate with you more strongly than maybe one of the other ones that is feels less relevant. And that's, sure. that it's, see, it's been pretty interesting to hear that across the board. Like I'll, somebody will tell me, Oh, this was my archetype. And this chapter just spoke so much to me. And that's kind of, kind of the way, I guess the way that it, the way that it works, but really it's, it's a matter of once you've identified your fear archetype and you can start to hear those messages that are playing and that, and those paradigms that have been up until that point feeling like truth for you, you have to then replace those paradigms with something else. And that's where the principles of courage come in. So there might be one or two that are, are going to resonate more strongly with you because that's what you need more. That's what you need most in order to replace those previous paradigms. Sure. So, and I, I think I'm, I'm, I, I'm involved in a lot of other like weird personal development walks of life. And, and you do talk a lot about action mm -hmm. and, um, and you know, from what I, from what I can tell um, a lot of the time, especially with fear, it is kind of like an act as if, or put one foot in front of the other that helps to manifest the courage. Um, do you, do you have a similar perspective or do you, do you prescribe defining and mustering courage before action or, or is it action that begets the courage? Itself? I think it's action, action that begets the courage. Gotcha. Uh, all the time. I mean, I, I say in the book multiple times, action is the antidote to fear. It's the only thing that is really going to make you build up that courage muscle because it, every little step that you can take will give you the courage to take the next step and the next step and the next one after that. And I actually share in the book, I share my own experience with depression. And I talk about how when I was in my early 20s, I went through a really really bad depression. I mean, multiple suicide attempts. I spent two and a half years in and out of psychiatric hospitals. I came very close to dying. I was on life support in a coma with less than 10% chance of waking up. And um, I, at the, through at the end of all of this depression, I found myself at 24 years old, completely broken. I was, you know, my arms and legs were all cut up I, from all the self-harm that I had done. I was divorced. I was bankrupt. I was completely all alone. Like my friends and family had basically given up on me at that point. My doctors had given up on me at that point. And I really felt like I was a hopeless case. Like there was, I had ruined my life forever and there was nothing that I was going to be able to do to fix it. And that's a pretty crappy place to be in your life to feel like you're 24 years old and there is nothing left. Like they had bas basically the doctors had told me there's, there's nothing more we can do for you. And so then I talk about how I, you know, I spent a few, a few months just laying in bed, um, doing nothing until my dad finally, finally convinced me to just go to the gym and walk on the treadmill. He's like, just do it three, three times a week. And, um, I will, you know, like just three times a week for half an hour each time. And um, 
So that's what I did. And it was literally putting one foot in front of the other on this treadmill. And that gave me enough, just that action gave me enough of something. I don't even know what it was to take the next action, which was calling a new therapist. I opened up the phone book. This was when there were still phone books. I, people, so there's probably people listening, like my kids wouldn't even know what a phone book is. But how sad is that? Um, <laughs> a book of phones? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Are they pages? <laughs> I don't understand what this, what is this thing you're talking about? My kids did ask me what a landline was the other day. Like they had no idea. Um, but I called up, called up this therapist and they said, I just spent the last two and a half years talking about every bad thing that has ever happened to me. It hasn't it hasn't helped me. I'm not better. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I just need to know at this point, how do I live? And that was what she helped me do. So she like one step at a time. First, it was like going to the um, grocery store without having a panic attack. And then eventually it was getting a part-time job and then moving out of my dad's house and then getting a full-time job and then going back to school and finishing my degree and then applying to law school and getting a doc, like all of these little steps. And each one at the time seemed so huge and, and momentous because here I felt like I was, I was damaged goods and I was broken and I was never going to be okay again. And so each time it felt so scary. And that was when my motto became do it scared. And I was doing these things, but every time I, I accomplished one of those things, I was able to then have the strength to then accomplish the next thing. And honestly, like that, that has been my life ever since. And that has certainly been my life as an entrepreneur is doing one thing and having it be scary and then going, Oh, okay, I did that. I guess I can do the next thing. And I guess I can do the next thing to the point where now I am 20 years after that depression sitting here talking to you as the owner of a seven figure company that like I could have never imagined this would even be possible. And so if you can just take, you don't have to have it all figured out. You can, if you can just take that one step and then let that be the catalyst to help you take the next step. It's the act of like taking the step that is going to give you the momentum to go forward. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, go ahead, Jen. Where I see a lot of our physical community get paralyzed is they see the next 10 steps and they're all there and they're looking at step number 10 instead of just going for number one, two, yes. three and on, right? Right. Yeah, what's, what's really interesting, and I think that's a, that's a unique problem. This is, this is really fascinating for me. Um, it's a very unique problem for people whose lives don't depend on their solution, right? Um, and what I find really fascinating, so, so just, I don't think I've even mentioned this on the show yet, but I had a, a pretty crippling drug addiction in my teens. Um, and what I noticed is that the folks who, whose lives depend upon the solutions can distill their solutions once they solve the problem, right? Or once their problem has been solved for them and, and they're able to duplicate that, can distill it in a way that, that benefits anybody. Um, mm-hmm. But what's fascinating is that, you know, pain is always the great motivator. Um, and the more pain, typically the more motivation. Um, but when you do have you know, people like yourself, Ruth, um, that have gone to the depths, it does, I believe, abate some of the pain for people who would have gone to those depths. Um, and, and, you know, this is, this is a microcosm of what we're talking about, but it's the same stuff. You know, um, we, I think it was a year ago um, when Anthony Bourdain um, had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and people at the top of the, of the pyramid of needs where they don't suffer from money or shelter or food um, still suffer from these existential angsts. Um, they're very, very, very serious. And, and the entrepreneur, I think, may be more sensitive. I don't know. That's bold. But more sensitive to trying to self-actualize. And if they don't self-actualize, um, there are big, big, big consequences. So, um, But the funny thing is, is that though we may be sensitive to that, we also kind of have to live an amazing life. Um, so it's no, there's no middle ground. <laughs> um, it's, it's really, it can be quite terrible, but we also have like some of the most amazing lives in the world too. And it sounds like some of, of a prescription to duplicate. So I think that's really, really special. So thanks, thanks for your service. And, okay. uh, and thank you. Thank you very, very much for your pain too. And I, yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing Ruth. And I love that for you, it has come full circle 20 years later from the thing that got you out of the deepest point in your life 
to uh, something that you are interested in and uh, trying to share with everyone else and recognizing that that simple motto of doing it scared and understanding how fear uh, dictates our decisions can help you from the lowest of the low to, I just need to understand how to grow my business tomorrow, right? Right. And how fear is affecting that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, I like, I love sharing my story because I feel like there's, for anybody who's out there, especially for entrepreneurs who are out there trying to do it, it doesn't matter if you've been through depression or maybe you are going through a really dark time in your life. But I think like the things that I would want to say to people are like, first of all, no matter how badly you've screwed up in your life or how dark things seem like right now or how, how much in the depths or how many mistakes you feel like you've made. And even if you feel like there's no hope for you, there's always hope. There is always something else out there. If it was long as you're willing to just take a step, keep taking those steps and not, and not quit no matter what, just keep going. Just keep going. That's what I want to tell people over and over again. Just You're so close. You have no idea how close you are to the gold. It's there. You just got to keep going. Yeah. And the other thing I love to tell about my story is like, oh my gosh, if I can start a business about living well and spending less and start talking about coupons and end up nine years later with a seven-figure <laughs> media company having... like, I started writing about saving money when I was a terrible money manager. That's why I was writing about it because I was bad about money. Like You literally can start a business about anything and it can grow and change and evolve and become exactly what it needs to be. You just just take it one step at a time. Just do the thing that's right in front of you that makes sense right now without worrying about having to figure it all out and then let it let the chips fall where they may. Just yeah. keep going. <laughs> that's for any of the procrastinators spending <laughs> yeah. a topic and not posting anything like I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And this is the that's thing. The action. There's so many soldiers that have been in the trenches before us, right? And, and you know, shamelessly plugging fizzle. It's probably something we should do um, <laughs> because we have built and, you know, credit where credit's due. Corbett has <laughs> built a community of thousands of entrepreneurs uh, inside of an ecosystem of education for all the things you've never done, right? All the things that, that, that other people that have done it have learned from their mistakes. You can learn from their mistakes and, and avoid them and build your business through our roadmap, hundreds of hours of video courses, um, and then also be in the trenches with people who are doing it as you do it. So you can keep each other accountable and grow and grow and grow. And this is like so special for me because other than the, the, the evacuation of my dark, dark, dark pit, Fizzle brought me to where I am now. So I'm personally like very, very grateful, <laughs> very grateful uh, for having discovered this. And people like you, Ruth, with uh, very specific prescriptions for the things that block me, um, because those things, um, those things have given me the life that I have right now. So, if anybody wants to, in addition to, to getting Ruth's book, um, try Fizzle for free, five weeks. Fizzle.co/slash/try-five. Um, there's literally no risk, and you can do so, so much for free in that time frame. Even if you don't stick around, we should also stick around. <laughs> Thank you, Aiden. Oh, and uh, dare I say, I think Ruth's book would be a, an amazing companion for anyone who's thinking about building a business or just wondering why they feel stuck in life. And sure. uh, it, it could help you make dramatic changes, whether those are entrepreneurial or otherwise. Any other last minute questions for Ruth before we pack it up for the day? This was amazing. I really enjoyed this conversation. Jen, Aiden? I, I enjoyed it too. I just wanted to say thank you, Ruth. Yeah. No, I I, I, I vomited already. <laughs> thank you, Ruth, for being here. Uh, everyone will be able to find all of the things we talked about today over at fizzleshow.co slash 320 for the show notes. And uh, you can also find Ruth online. We talked earlier about your website, Living Well, Spending Less. People can find you there. And uh, the book comes out today, Do It Scared. We are honored to have Ruth on today for the launch of her book. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again sometime. For those of you listening, uh, thank you for being here. We appreciate you tuning in to The Fizzle Show every week. New episodes come out on Tuesday. And until next week, uh, let's see, what does Chase usually say? Something like, find care, find care take care, care, serve hard, hard and, and dig, dig in. in. <laughs> next week on The Fizzle Show. 